Hi, and welcome to SheQuest Podcast, a radio show that will help you not only claim your awareness around the concept of power, body, beauty, voice, and the arts of your life, but truly embody it. I'm your host, Estelle Thompson. You are here to widen your lens on the unfiltered and uncurated conversation we have in my SheQuest membership program. And best yet, you'll get real life, tangible tools to stay real and true to you. Each season, we will interview incredible, knowledgeable guests and You'll educate and uplift as we strive to live whole and not perfect. Welcome. Hi, SheQuest. Welcome to SheQuest Podcast with guests. I'm your host, Estelle Thompson. Today, the big finale of season four, I have for you Rachel Saunters, or also known as Arsenice. With ethereal strings, warm acoustics, and alternative progressions, singer-songwriter Arsenice writes soothing songs about messy love and mental state. Inspired by all pop artists like Sylvan Esso and Radiohead, with the piano-driven styling of Root B and Cœur de Pirate, Arsenis embraces and reworks the pop genre with a prowess that bespeaks a lifelong study of music. In her live shows, Arsenis uses tracks, loop beats, harmonic vocal effects, and layered keyboard to create a dreamy orchestral production, taking audiences into our vulnerable, psychoanalytical world. A regular performer at piano bars and listening venues, Arsenis has released two EPs and is currently co-producing singles and an LP from her home studio in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And on a personal note, Rachel was the musician that played at my she show way back three years ago and I had this vision to have her on and I've been kind of girl fanning over her for years now and I found myself in a conversation where I could see and hear that she is a creativity geeks like me and the conversation took many unexpected tangent beautiful that showed that you know, both in her music and in her life, Rachel has this great capability to show vulnerability and let that be a permission for herself and for the world. So it's a beautiful, beautiful note to end the podcast on. There is tons of surprises coming for next season. I'm keeping them a wrap for now, but SheQuest Podcast is not over. We are not over. We are just beginning. I love you. Happy listening. Uh, On the show here, we always ask the first question, and it is, what makes you feel alive today? Physically, a headache makes me feel. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
<laughs> I know. I don't know why I've had headaches for the last couple of days, but I, I, that's the physical awareness that I'm alive. <laughs> I'm preparing for a show on Sunday, and I just bought some new um, musical equipment uh, for my live show, and that's always really exciting. So I just got back from the music store and have some new keyboards to open up. So I'm really excited about that. What new toys? I can never have new toys. <laughs> I totally get it. Amazing. And so I want like, okay, I can't I kind of know you and I was just saying off mic there how I was like, wait, wait, maybe I don't know Rachel that much, but I would love it if you just tell us about yourself, like where you grew up and you know, our theme. I wanted to bring you in just to talk about how can art can really just awaken us and heal us in a way. And so how kind of like where how you got where you got. My stage name is Arsenice. And uh, my name is Rachel Center, and I grew up in Ottawa and uh, in Australia a little bit when I was a kid. I come from a bilingual household. My mom is uh, Parisian, and my dad is from Australia. Very musical family. I grew up with a music room in the house with lots of instruments in it. My mom played piano and my dad played trumpet. Everyone in the family sang and played music in some way. You like a musical, like a musical video family. <laughs> but I just like grew up thinking that everyone was like that. I thought that wow. all families sang all the time. All Like everyone played instruments. That was just normal because that's all that I knew. <laughs> Wow. I thought every house had a music room in it. I thought that was normal. <laughs> because music was so normal for me, I actually did not, um, I didn't consider myself to be a musician. I didn't identify mm. as a musician until, until my 20s, maybe, even though I played and competed and performed my whole life. I thought that everyone studied music and that was just part of being a well-rounded person um, and I didn't see myself as being the best. And I thought, well, if I'm not the best piano player in my whole school, because I think I was probably like second best. <laughs> there was always one girl who was better than me in all the schools. Um, and because he was always better than me. I was that like, bitch. I was like, I was like, uh, I was like well, my, my perception is that it's really hard to be a professional artist. You know, we always hear this. I had boomer parents who, who, even though they loved music and played music, they didn't see it as a serious source of income. And I was a straight A student who was constantly being told by adults that I could do whatever I want and be whatever I want. So there was a lot of pressure on me to pick the right thing or something. And music was just never even a possibility in my mind. So... I only, I, I started professionally playing when I was 21. I moved out East for university. I went to King's and I studied philosophy and English. I was a big, like I'm a big bookworm. I love writing. I love language. I have always been drawn to language. And then on the side, I was still, I was still making a lot of music. And I, I joined my first band because the band leader lived in the same house as me one year. So I didn't play for anyone. I only played alone in my room or I would play classical music sometimes at university at formal meals. They had a piano in the hall, so they would let me play there. 
but that was it. Anything like pop or modern, I kept very much to myself um, behind closed doors, but my roommate could hear me playing through the doors. So he knew that I was a player. So he asked me to join his band and I had never done anything like that. And I thought, I, well, I, I went in with a lot of ego. I thought, well, I'm way more technically trained than any of these guys. And this is, this is going to be so easy. And I don't know if I really, I'm going to like this kind of music. I was pretty snobby about a lot of kinds of music. I came so intensely from a classical and jazz background. And anyways, on my first practice, I immediately realized that all of my technical training did not amount, did not translate into the ability to play with other people and to improvise and to, uh, to jam. That's the word you use in music. Jamming means no music in front of you, (laughs) playing at the same time as other people, improvising, maybe in a song that you know, but doing it in a new way. Anyways, jamming was, I had never done that in my life. And I was like, oh my God, how? So I was technically, I felt superior, but it, it didn't even matter. All my technical skills meant nothing because I couldn't figure out what notes to play next. And I couldn't keep track of the chords in my head the way that they could. Ah, that's so interesting. And I love, I love that, like that differentiation, you know, it's like the technical versus the intuitive and the brave and the like unknown in a way. And also, can we just mention how cool it is that you, your roommate was like the band leader? How did you end up like... It's as if the universe was like, uh, I was his first band too. It was so weird. Like he asked me to be in his band a year later. We just ran into each other in the street when we were drunk on Argyle street, like the bar street. And, uh, I literally ran into him and I remember that moment so clearly because it changed my whole life. Right. That we ran into each other and in passing while walking, he said, Rachel, I'm starting a band. Do you want to join my band? And I was like, okay. <laughs> And now I'm sitting here in my music studio with all this gear around me and my whole life is music. And it's, it's all because of that moment. Wow. <laughs> there, I just got to pause here because there are, I think for anyone listening, I think there are these moments that like when they happen, you think nothing of and like looking back, you're like, oh my God, that was the moment. Yeah, you know, that was like the moment. Like I, I don't know if you knew this, but like I had a friend. She came in my house. That was like I, I think my son was like three months old, and I, I was like in creative hiding. You know, like I would paint, but like nobody knew I painted. Like not even my close friends, right. but all my paintings were like in my house. <laughs> so like this, this girl, she comes and she was gonna take pictures of us, and she looks at me like her eyes were all open, and she's like. Like, who's the artist? Like, looking at all these paintings on my wall. I was like, oh, yeah, like that's just me. And she looks at me and she says, Rachel, she says, uh, like, you know you can sell those, right? <laughs> <laughs> and not kidding. Like, that night I was, I was bouncing my baby and I was on the WordPress and did my first, like, one-page, like, website. Like, I was – I had been outed, you know? Yes. Yeah. It just takes one person to to tell you that you're good enough. <laughs> you're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's so 
great. Oh, I just, I love that. So then, so how long ago was that? Was that like 10 years? That Eight was 12, 12 years ago. Wow. I know. So I stayed in that band. So that band of, you know, random guys from the Valley who knew each other from university, that band ends up doing really well, you know, for a starter indie band. And I stayed with that band for seven years in total and uh, toured in the States a couple times, toured back and forth to central Canada many times, um, got to play some huge festivals and just got to know a lot of the Canadian music industry on the, on the Eastern side. Um, and then through that, of course, started making the connections and started sharing my own songs that I was writing. I remember the first time I played that, that I showed one of my songs, um, Fox and Hen was, was the first it's, it's on, it was on my first EP, but that song, I shared it with my bandmates once at a, at a music conference, just in a hotel room, there was a piano set up and I was, and they asked to see one of my songs. They heard that I was going to start recording. Um, but yeah, I, I, I played that song for them and, it, and that was a real moment of being like, oh, I can go solo. <laughs> um. <laughs> I love, I love that song, by the way. Like, I'm totally like fangirling on you. <laughs> yes. I love it. I play your songs like all, I like in yoga, like all the time. Oh, that's so, so nice. Thank you. Yeah. you. Yeah. And the new one, like, change is coming. Change is coming. You like that one. Yeah. I will love your relationship with that song. <laughs> oh, so, that song is so she quest. Oh my God. It's so yeah. So <laughs> Would you say like when you, you were like, okay, I can do this solo. Like that was like five, six years, seven years later. How long? That, so that was seven years. Yeah. After that. So that was five years ago. And then you just, you just went like on your own. Well, I, I was doing both for a year. I was, I was playing in the band and I was doing my solo thing, but uh, there was a lot of friction um, between me and the band leader. Definitely too many cooks in the kitchen situation, you know, the more confidence I gained in my own ability to write and conceptualize things, the more I started to resent this secondary role I was in, in the band. And I, I was very much in a secondary role. I, I was never a part of business decisions, financial situations, um, creative undertakings other than as a, a you know an unplayed session player basically I never made a penny in that band and was expected to just follow orders all the time but because the band was doing well for a long time I saw I, I didn't see it that way for a long time I was like wow I'm getting taken on this ride for free and all I have to do is play these songs and they're so easy and this is great and, and I loved like, you know, dressing like a musician and being up on stage and like starting to be a cool girl in Halifax, like all of that. I was so starstruck by the whole musician life because it was so, I, it wasn't something I had ever aspired to. It just suddenly happened. And I was like, whoa, that's so cool. But yeah, I, when I started making my own music, I quickly outgrew that and, and was like, okay, I want to, I want to have a hand in creation in creating this. And I want to be learning when, when things are happening. 
And that's, that immediately was like a big change in role for me and, and where I'd been in the band for so long, it wasn't a very welcome change, I think, which is, which just makes sense that I think that happens in a lot of bands when people start their own projects, dynamics shift, egos get in the way. How much, how much you grew in that, like, you know, you got to learn the kind of improv music side and then you also it seemed you also grew as like okay this is what I want this is what I don't want you know oh definitely I it was an invaluable experience I learned so many things and and being a side player for that long has has given me a lot of respect for side players like I'm very, I'm a very conscious leader and employer when I do have bandmates, whether it's for one gig or for a tour or an album or whatever, because I still identify so much as having been in that position for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I believe in paying people fairly at all times. I believe in transparency about business decisions. I believe that everyone gets a vote. And these are things that I learned um, because I experienced the, the flip side of that. That's right. Because you were in those shoes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Um, It's so great to get to know you more. I didn't even know you were from Ottawa. And I, I knew you had like a, because fr- you speak French, yeah? Yes. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, When did you, do you think like you woke up? Like I know you had that moment with the, your roommate there, but when did you wake up to like your own self-expression? Like, would you say was in your family, like when you were a little girl or like? My mom was, was um, a very creative person. She was always surrounding us with crafts. Like we had a huge craft cupboard and a little craft table. And every, every holiday and event was, was always a reason to do crafts you know, and, and family visiting was another reason to do crafts, having friends over another reason to do crafts. So it was like painting and cutting and pasting, like everything I did was always so creative. And I really think that that came from my mom always providing us with craft supplies (laughs) Um, and, and, and uh, encouraging that. So I'm so jealous. Why didn't I grow up in your house? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that being said, so so yeah, I grew up with always having creativity be be a part of my life. That's not to say I didn't develop creative blocks because everyone yeah. develops creative blocks, and we all have these moments uh, throughout our childhood and teen years that can be very formative. You know, where, where we develop these inner rules of what is art and what is not art and what is creativity and what is not creativity. Like these those kinds of rules, I still. I still had to identify and deconstruct a lot of my own issues um, when I started my solo project. That's when I was really alone and I was in complete ch- control. My first EP w- was was so satisfying for me to make because I really had complete creative control. Um, I was in a long-term relationship with um, Alex Alex Mead, who produced the album and played a lot of the instruments, and he was my bandmate. Too. Um, and because we lived together and were romantically involved while we made the project, my creativity was very unhindered with him. Mm. Like he was very patient. We could revisit things over and over again until we felt that they were perfect. It was only later in my career that I started to have issues because 
uh, I was paying people a lot more to work with them. So time was a lot more valuable and mistakes were a lot more costly. And then I started to to feel really encumbered by the financial realities of being an artist. Those realities are really real, aren't they? <laughs> I, some of them are, and a lot of them are in your head. Yeah. Amazing art can be made at little to no cost. Mm-hmm. And, and in a lot of cases, I think financial barriers are actually uh, opportunities for greater creativity right mm-hmm. creativity can can solve problems <laughs> and totally. you can end up you can end up with results that are really unique because you had a financial barrier and i think a lot of great songs have happened that way but it it took i had to study creativity very consciously for a year or two in order to get to where i am now where i feel a lot more unblocked a lot more non-judgmental so tell me what did you learn Well, I I did. You know, I'm a like creativity like junkie, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So have you read The Artist's Way? Yes, and oh, that was like my OG. Like, you know, I might have because remember I went to that voice work workshop with you and Bridie. Yes. Did we? I don't know, maybe I'm like confusing it with somebody else, but did we talk? I or maybe it was like in one of our shares where at that workshop I was sharing. I was gifted this book by a voice teacher yeah. <laughs> in 1999. Can you imagine that? Right. And it was like, it blew. It was like the first time somebody told me like, your art practice is like your spiritual practice. And like my mind was blown. And I was like, thank you, Julia Cameron. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. It, um, that book is just essential. It's yeah. so essential. Anytime I'm talking to anyone artistic now who has any kinds of barriers in their mind or outside their mind, I'm like, yeah. start with that book because it gets you to, um, I mean, for listeners who don't know what it is, The Artist's Way is uh, a guide to unblocking your inner creative being. And yeah. it's founded on this idea that... Um, our highest gift as humans is our ability to create something out of nothing, right? To, to make something new um, from a biological standpoint, because it uses our, our ample prefrontal cortex, right? And other animals don't have access to that. Um, and then from a spiritual sense, um, I mean, it's really something kind of magical that we can make something out of nothing that we can hear a song out of thin air and then materialize it <laughs> and then other people can hear it and be moved by it it's, it's totally crazy to me <laughs> when you think about it no i know same for those of you who know me know that i am obsessed with flowers but also essential oils I was flipping out so excited when I came aware of Lightwater Essential Oil Blend Company right here in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. The bottle is so pretty and there's so many ways to use each blend. From the energetics of chakra work, meditation or daily uses in headache relief, deeper sleep support or to tap into a creative space. There's so much to explore and a blend for everyone. My current faves are the Create and Power Blend, but my house will definitely smell a winter woods during the holidays. 
Light Water is offering the SheQuest community a whopping 20% discount on all regular price items. Go to Instagram or the website lightwatereo.ca, that's lightwatereo.ca, and use she at checkout for a 20% discount. Again, that's capital C-H-E to explore these blends yourself. Happy holidays. How do songs come to you? Like, um, how do songs like find you? Is there like, do you have like a specific process or they just, are you dream about them or? I don't have a pro, a pro, a process. No. Um, they definitely, they definitely just start. They just start in my head and some, and by the, they start in my head. I mean, I mean, everyone has experienced having a song stuck in their head before. <laughs> right? So I just, I'll, I'll suddenly tune into whatever songs in my head. And a lot of the time be like, wait, what song is that? And I'm like, oh, that's, that's no song. <laughs> I'm like making that up and it's been playing it on a loop for an hour and I've never heard that before. <laughs> no. The moment that's the door opening of like, oh, there's a, there's a song waiting to be written right now. I've got to get to my instrument immediately because it, it's not going to be there forever. It'll probably only be there for maybe five minutes or an hour or maybe even a couple days. In some cases, I've had a song that I've written but never played play in my head for years. And I, but I, anytime I try to think about it, I can't remember it. But like every time I'm in a certain situation, I'm like, oh yeah, it's that song again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm so, this, this stuff like fascinates me so much. And as I, I'm mentioning to you, I've had a lot of singers on the podcast lately. And I think I can like something that's come back over and over again. It's like when a song comes or when a lyric comes, like just grab it and go like, like just go off yeah. you go, you know? And it's like, it might not be there tomorrow. <laughs> There's another book that makes me think of, um, which is big magic by Elizabeth yeah. Gilbert. And yeah. that, that book the the main takeaway, there's a couple great takeaways from that book, but the main takeaway from that one that I really stay with is this spiritual belief that ideas, an idea meaning like an invention or an artistic creation, that ideas float around the universe and then and then they choose a human brain and they inhabit that brain. And sometimes they inhabit other brains around the world at the same time. But they, when an idea inhabits your brain, it's there and suddenly you can hear it or you can see it and it's perfectly clear and you feel like you didn't make it. You feel like it just appeared there. And her idea is that um, ideas inhabit your brain for a certain amount of time and then they leave it. And once they leave it, it's gone and it's gone forever. But the catch is that the idea is gone from your brain, but it's still out there in the, in the universe. And it, it might go inhabit someone else's brain because ideas want to be manifested. So they'll inhabit a brain and then they'll jump ship and inhabit another brain and they'll inhabit brains until someone has the skills and the, the discipline to manifest it. Oh, I love this so much. Work for it that everyone can relate to. I mean, I, I, I can relate to it, which is that I've, 
I've made up excuses to not write a song before that I was really passionate about at some time. Maybe I wrote it in a journal, but I didn't record it. Or maybe I, I demoed it, but I never showed anyone. And then a year or two later, I hear a huge song on the radio and it's like the same lyrics, same melody. And I'm like, oh my God, I missed the boat. That was my song. <laughs> wow. Like I'm wondering if other musicians experience that. Oh yeah. Other musicians have experienced that for sure. Definitely. You'll be like, damn it. I totally had that chord progression. I knew, but like now if I release it, it's going to sound like I'm ripping that other person off. But I know <laughs> that I, I know that I thought of it first. <laughs> so the, the, the reason this whole spiritual belief, what the real takeaway from it is that, that, that Elizabeth Gilbert talks about is that it's essential to have your creative tools in an accessible place so that the moment that inspiration inhabits you, you are able to manifest that idea before it leaves your brain without barriers. So that was the moment that I started to realize I needed to get more organized in my life. I needed to have, I needed to be able to press a couple buttons and be able to record that quickly. Because even having multiple steps is enough to deter your unconscious mind from manifesting an idea. It's enough to be like, oh, I'll put it off. I'll do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow you wake up and the song's gone. Do it now. Yes. Sing it now. Write it now. <laughs> yeah. Demo it immediately. <laughs> yeah. How, why is it so important for you to make music? And, and I know you teach music too now. Um, why is it so important to you now? I have a very selfish relationship to music. And when it becomes less selfish, uh, I lose my motivation. Mm -hmm. So I have to struggle to keep it selfish, which mm -hmm. is that um, I am committed to only making music that I like that I love, that I want to listen to. I don't want to release a song that I don't want to hear. And I have released songs that I didn't want to hear. <laughs> I've learned that the hard way. I've been like, wow, all that work, all that time, all that money, all that everything. Mm. And, but because I was even 20% or 40% trying to please a certain audience that was not me, then I resent the project afterwards. I'm just, ah, this oh. speaks to me so much. This speaks to me so, so much. Mm -hmm. But I feel, and I feel, because that's happened to me too, where like, you know, you feel so kind of exhausted almost after. and But almost it's like a pull back, like because you went so far away from mm -hmm. that. I love that you say that word selfish because I, I love that word. Yeah. <laughs> that like you're, you're like back, okay, I've been so far away. Now I'm bringing myself back to like what I love. And like you're almost less apologetic for anything. You're just yeah. like more like fierce. Like your eyes are like, okay, enough, you know? <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a really strong believer that um, the more dedicated you are, to 100% your vision of things, uh, the more authentic your art will be. Like people will perceive it as authentic because authenticity is definitely something that is perceived. 
um, and often imitated, I think. But real authentic art comes from doing something that sounds right to you, you know, or looks right to you. And that's it. Something that brings you pleasure or something that makes you cry. That's all that really matters. And if that means that your market becomes a niche market now and that and, and your art becomes esoteric to a bunch of people, that's okay. Because those niche people who like your art love your art enough to make up for all the people who don't. Do you know what I mean? Like they will be willing to pay for it. They will play it on repeat. And I would so much rather have a niche market of people who love what I love than have a mass market of people who love things that I don't care about. Oh, a thousand percent. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. A thousand percent. And like at the end of the day, like that's what lights you up anyways, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's such a like a fine line, you know, because at some point and that's happened to me just through painting, like almost like it's so easy to fall into like painting what people, you know, what people would love, you know, like painting like Amazon jungles or like this and that, like, oh yeah, like that's going to be like so mainstream. And it's like, but I don't want to be mainstream. Like, like, why would I want to like, I want to be like small and peculiar. And like, if you're a basic bitch and you want to make basic art, go for it. Rock it. Own that. (laughs) That is fine. And and you will love your basic audience and you can go do basic stuff together. It'd be perfect. But if if, if your audience is people that you wouldn't actually want to hang out with, and couldn't have conversations with, like that's a shitty place to be in as an artist. So then you've got to go up there and fake yourself to people. And that's the worst. That's the worst. <laughs> I love, oh my God, Rachel, I love this conversation. Like I think it's so fresh and so, like I feel it's not talked about a lot. And um, and I know as like my progression, like as I evolve, you know, as a yoga teacher too, and as an artist, like time and time again, I almost like come at, at these like little crossover, like it's like, okay, like, what's my vision again? Like, what, what do I want out of this? You know, like, it's so easy. And now with like, you know, just social media and all this, it's like, wait, like, what do I want? Like, who am I? <laughs> Oh, I know, I know. No, and I, I, th- I think this is something I really love about you and like I follow you on social media and like just love, like I love how you come on sometimes and you're just like, you're just so real. Like, I <laughs> but like fuck, it's so refreshing because you're like, I forget what you did. And pardon me if I like butcher this, but like yeah. you like came on like live, like, you know, just live and you're like, you're like, I feel really lonely right now. Like, you know, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, fuck, finally, like finally somebody that's like freaking real and like unfiltered and just like, yeah. oh, like that moved me so much, you know? And I think I, do you remember that? I do. I was in my car. I was crying in my car. Yeah. <laughs> so <Yes>. I- <sighs> it was so refreshing. I was like, finally, finally. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, I feel this like, I feel like a, a duty to be authentic. And it's funny, it's because I've had, I've definitely had a couple people in my life um, be, be like, 
come to me privately after that post specifically, you know, I had someone come to me, uh, someone close to me come and just be like, you know, you don't need to tell people everything. (laughs) And it was such a like subtly shaming moment of being like, well, what's, what's wrong with telling people everything? Like, and I had to really think about it and be like, what was happening there? Why did they feel the need to tell me something so obvious? Because most people would not put a video of themselves crying on Instagram. So saying that I, that, I, that I don't need to share everything is obvious. Most people don't share everything. <laughs> and to me, I'm like, I was doing, I'm doing something exceptional. I'm, I'm just being real because I, I know that, that when you see someone, when you see someone put down their armor, it makes it safe for you to put down your armor. Right. Yeah. And that's what it comes from. It's that it's just that, you know, that in all vulnerable interactions, someone has to go first. And I feel like as an artist, you have this platform to give people permission to feel things and permission to say things. So I I do, I try to check myself very regularly to make sure like, okay, am I, am I really saying what I mean? Am I really showing how I feel or am I buying into, you know, some kind of superficial Bad. Cause it's so easy to do that. And I do that and I catch myself on it and I have to, and I have to be like, okay, like what I do have to constantly check myself there. But a lot of artists don't feel that way. And I do not think that that's how you need to be. That's just part of what motivates me mm-hmm. as arsonist is that, is that I think that that's one of my purposes. I just love that so much, like your purpose and like that word permission too, I think as Mm -hmm. artists, like even through songs, like, you know, your songs, like for me anyway, they give me, great job, I'm going to start to cry, but like, seriously. I know, I'm empathetic. Like given words for things that I didn't even know, you know, I was like feeling, I feel your songs like really do that. And to go back to that moment and like, I mean, it's like, I I love that you said that, that somebody too, like close to you said that because that's happened to me too. Mm. And, and it's hard because like, of course, like out of like 500, like good things you've gotten from this thing, you know, like, and I think it was your birthday too. Like, I really felt for you seriously. Like, and it, it like, it was a beautiful show of like humanity, And one of my, and you know, I, I've studied grief a lot and I speak publicly about grief and like one of my teacher, he always says, you know, grief is an energy. It's just waiting to be witnessed. And like, I really felt at that moment, it was like this beautiful gift you were like giving us of like, okay, like, you know, I like, I see you, you see me in this, like, just this humanity, you know, and whoever, like, all the people that or anyways, for me that they're like, like, why do you have to do that? Like, you don't have to be public about it. And it's like, no, but that's on you. Like, like that's about you. That's not even about me right now. Like, if you're, you know what I mean? Like, almost, like. Well, and the thing is, I know that the only people in my life, I, I, also, just to clarify for listeners, I, I, what the post was, was I was 
Um, yeah, I was sitting in my car in my driveway and I was crying. Um, and I just did a, did a video telling, um, my followers how I was feeling. And yeah, I forgot it was my birthday. That makes sense. It was my birthday weekend. And there were just a few things that had happened in my life that had led to this kind of isolated situation. This is before COVID. So it wasn't a COVID thing. It was, it was, uh, the year before that. Um, but the only, the only people in my life who subtly or directly gave me crap for that post are definitely people that I know when they are in pain, they know, they don't reach out to anyone. Mm. So that's not a coincidence. <laughs> um, my act of not only reaching out to one or two people, but reaching out to hundreds of people with that kind of pain was probably so alien to someone who has a hard time calling even one person when they're crying. That probably was a lot. So I, I, it wasn't, I didn't take it personally. I had to realize that it was just like vulnerability is like that. It makes, it makes people extremely uncomfortable when, if it's, if they're not ready for it. I remember just, and too, like how clear you were, like you were just so, you were really clear, like everything that came out of your mouth, like, I don't don't know how to explain it. Like it wasn't about attention, you know, like it was about like, this is just how shit is right now. And I'm going to share that with you. And I, like for me, that's such a, um, like the way you gave yourself to us allowed, uh, like even allowed me to be like having it land in my bones. Like it's a beautiful gift. And I think, and sometimes too, I feel I'm like, I'm so glad I feel a lot. Mm. And <laughs> like, I'm so glad I feel like I feel things so intensely. Oh yeah. I'm such yeah. a feeler too. I know and it comes with its pains. Does it yeah. ever? <laughs> Yes. Um, but like talking about feeling like I, um, how do you like, um, maybe kind of coming back on track with like, (laughs) um, but I want to know, like, is there a way that you like surrender, like, like get in the creative, like kind of get in the flow if you're about to like create a song or is, is you just, do you have seasons where you write a lot of songs or like, Like, what's your process with with that? Well, it's a funny time for you to to ask me that because I'm, I'm so deep in production mode right now that I've been having a hard time giving myself permission to write new songs. Um, I posted in a subreddit forum on songwriting recently about this because I was like, I don't think I have writer's block because I, I'm, I consider myself to be a pretty un, unblocked artist very consciously. I've worked on this. I was like, I don't have trouble finishing my songs. I don't have trouble starting them. It's that uh, lately I've been, I've been trying really hard to release my songs. And like when I say finish, I don't mean finish writing them. I mean finish mixing and mastering them and promoting them and getting them out. That has been such a challenge for me. So uh there's not much of a writing process going on these days and hasn't been for months. Um, So to answer your question, I think that writing is very much a compulsion for me. I don't have to, to, I I never set aside time to write. Uh, And if I ever have tried to, it's been unsuccessful. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, truly. (laughs) 
the the closest thing to uh to a practice that I would have in songwriting would be um and I learned this because I, I did a a writer's retreat at the Banff Center um at the art the Banff Arts Center a year and a half ago. Amazing program. Um it was open to artists from Canada and the States and the UK, and there were about twenty-four to thirty of us. And you had three weeks and you had your own private studio with your own custom list of any instruments you wanted, plus a world-class grand piano in every studio, plus practice rooms full of instruments, plus um, an on-call sound technician, a video team, and then writing workshops and performance opportunities that were all optional. Everything was optional. You got to this crazy center and they're like, here's your meal card. Here's your bougie little hotel room. And here's your studio space. And if you need anything, here's the people you talk to. Um, was insane. I never had anything like that in my life. Uh, and that was the first time that I would have experienced what felt like writer's block. Because it was like, here's everything you need. And that created a lot of pressure. Yeah. It created so much pressure. And, and there was a competitive aspect too, because during meals and stuff, you'd be sitting at this table with all these other songwriters and overhearing conversations about everything everyone was making. And it was just like, oh no, this is not, this is really not good. <laughs> um <laughs> So I, I needed, I needed to chill out and I needed to take the pressure off. Um, so that was a combination of making time to go hang out in other musician spaces and drink a little bourbon with them late at night and just play some music together. Like that was really important to relax and take the pressure off making things. And also listening to the music that you love is the most important thing for me in terms of keeping my creative process going. When in doubt, I always put on Radiohead, always, because that for me, and everyone has those bands, that for me is just like lyrically and production-wise and chord-wise, it's the highest thing that I would ever aspire to would be making something so beautiful. <laughs> so, so the art that makes you feel that sense of awe and that sense of familiarity and like, Oh, these are my people. This is my song. You know, that feeling, I always have to go back to that music. And if I ever get too swept up and trying to please people or trying to be something I'm not, then I put on my favorite artists alone with really good headphones and really good speakers and just like just love it and don't stress about what I'm making anymore don't stress about who I am just enjoy that and from that love then the ideas come forth stop it I'm just gonna cry right now <laughs> but it's so it is you know just love the things you love you know I that's what I repeat all the time in my creative, like, what is it you love? Like, just love the things you love. And like, that's basically like your purpose in life. It's like. <laughs> what you love is what makes you you. That's yeah. what makes you unique. I, I talk to artists sometimes who are stuck because they're so 
overwhelmed by they know what they want to sound like on the end, but they don't know how to get there. But then when I ask what the end result is, the end result that they give me is really more about other people's opinions than it is about what they're creating. You know, those are the people who get stuck and they can be so skilled, so skilled and have amazing taste, but they're stuck because they're like, I know that I want to make something that impresses the following people. I know that I want to make something that even I can't criticize, you know, <laughs> um, as opposed to I want to make something that makes me feel good or I want to make something that that reminds me of the sadness of this particular event because these goals are so much more attainable than I want to make something that's as cool as this person. <laughs> and I just want to go back to before I forget my thought, but um like, thank you for, like, I love, I remember, like, I love your pictures that summer you went to Banff and it's like, I love you, like totally painted the picture for us. Um, and I love you said, like, it's something that's coming up back in the conversation, like about how constraints for creative juices are actually a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and then when you have like this whole... I don't know, when you have like the perfect situation, you're like, oh, fuck, like, oh, no, like what's like now it's like the pressure. It's like the like that's, you know, that's kind of like the worst. It's just funny because you were talking earlier about that financially, too. Pressure is good and bad for art. It yeah. really depends on your emotional yeah. state, I think. So is that what you would like recommend if somebody came to you, Rachel? And I know. I remember in your voice workshop, you were speaking of your students a lot, which some of the stories I still remember, like this little girl, even you were like, you know, the, the little girls were like holding their stomach and, yeah. and you kept being like, no, like singing starts from like, anyways, and there's totally something that shifted for me because I realized like I always like, I always suck in my belly like always. And it's like, and I was like, I still do it. Like, and I'm a freaking yoga teacher. Like you think I know better, <laughs> but it's like, and I remember you were like, Oh my God, it's like totally like almost an instinct now. But anyway, sorry, I went on a tension there, but, um, but is that, is that what you, you recommend to your young like students to like, listen to the music they love. And like, you know, if somebody would come up to you and be like, like how how can I connect with my my deeper like oh, man. and creativity, you know, and like let let it out, <laughs> let your belly out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely advice I give to um, to older people, people you know, and who are in their late twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, because uh, younger generations right now they they connect with their music music that they like effortlessly in ways that that we weren't able to because we didn't have unlimited free streaming the kids yeah. that come to me have such niche tastes it's amazing mm -hmm. i have one student who's a huge k-pop nerd that's all she listens to is k-pop she's like 11 or 12 and have another girl who listens to what i listen to i listen to indie alternative stuff from 2005 that's what she's into. I'm like, what? You were 12. Why are you into this? 
and you know, I, she's one of my like secret music connections because when I, I'm like, so man, what a, what have you been listening to lately? Twelve <laughs> <laughs> year old is like, oh, this band, and I and I'm just like, oh my god, this band is everything. It's literally inspiring my next album. <laughs> Um, so I, yeah, I think younger people are amazing at that just because of the access that they have, that they can privately listen to whatever they want. Now they don't have to ask their parents for money to go buy a CD. They can just find what they want. They can customize their own playlists, but for older people, yeah, that's a, that's definitely a tip I give a lot is to, to listen to or watch or look at whatever art just makes you feel great. Do you have like any kind of your own favorite tools like for self-growth but anything like we've been talking about creativity a lot mm -hmm. like is there anything you do like soul rituals I mean I know you do yoga but is there anything specific that you seem to go back to yes yeah over the years I've definitely honed my um my self-practice I'll call it um yeah. and for me It is uh, a trifecta of seated meditation, positive affirmations, meta practice, which is a um, loving kindness meditation. Hey, so in case you didn't know already, my name is Estelle and I'm a Quebec-born, Nova Scotia living yoga teacher, creative mentor, visual artist, author, and grief activist. You can visit my work and offerings at estellethompson.com. That's E-S-T-E-L-L-E-T-H-O-M-S-O-N.com. And subscribe if you like. You like this conversation and it's helping you. It has an impact on your life. Please subscribe. Give SheQuest Podcast a five-star review. And you know, the best thing you can do is just take it a screenshot as you're listening to it and post it on your Facebook or Instagram story. And it just really helps me get some traction, momentum, and share with others. Um, you know what you love what you're listening to and that's it it's helping you because it might just help someone else thanks so much bye merci for me that whole practice takes half an hour i do at half an hour minimum basically is what i have to set aside ideally each day for the rest of my life that will be the case and for me that half hour um is like medicine for me it it totally mm -hmm changes my personality and when i stop doing it within a matter of days i start to see consequences um so the seated meditation um is essential because it strengthens the part of your brain that is aware of what you are thinking <laughs> so without that i think all other self practices are not going to be very effective because you're not going to notice that you're not using them <laughs> So meditation is, is fundamental, I think, in any kind of self-care or change just because it strengthens your ability to know what's even going on in your brain, uh, you know, throughout the day. But if I just do meditation, because I've tried to eliminate each one of these, this trifecta over time out of laziness or busyness, <laughs> um, and I need all three. So meditation does that. Meta practice um, is, uh, yeah, loving kindness meditation. So that's where I have come up with five phrases 
that I say the meta practice takes only a few minutes, maybe three or four minutes. You say the five phrases to yourself and then to somebody else. So someone who evokes compassion from you effortlessly, someone you love. Um, and then you practice saying them and it's all in your head mentally, but when you say them, so for example, my first line is, may you be happy. So I would say, Rachel, may you be happy. And, and when I say it, I have to actually envision myself outside myself and going over to Rachel and maybe putting a hand on her head or maybe holding her, or maybe holding her hand and saying that and meaning it, may you be happy. And, uh, Then I have four more phrases and you come up with the phrases that mean something to you. And then I have, yeah, then you say to someone you love and then you practice mentally saying it to someone you don't feel empathy for, you're struggling with empathy with. And that's, that one alone is a reason that your mind often avoids doing this practice because you don't want to sit down and say, may you be happy to someone that you're like, fuck that bitch. Like, (laughs) (laughs) have to imagine really sitting down and being like, you know, it's not real. It's just a practice. Just imagine saying, may you be happy. And if you struggle with it a lot, uh, it's suggested that you imagine saying it to their three-year-old self, right? Mm. Their three-year-old self who hadn't done all those awful things yet, who was Mm. just an innocent human who would go through life experiences that you don't understand, right? And you're like, right. Okay. May you be happy. I do meta practice at Costco. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. <laughs> right. Right. Like I um there's a meme, I forget, I posted it a few years ago, but it's like, you know, you want like let's say you're out and about or whatever and something's like really getting on your nerves, you know, you're not gonna like throw down a warrior two, you know, but you can say to yourself, like, you know, may this person be like, okay, you know, like almost like sending them, you know, love, like you're, you have the power to do that, you know? Yes. Yeah. That's really, really great. So you have them at it. What's the third one? Positive affirmations. Yes. yes. So positive affirmations. Um, and I update the list once every month or two. I have a running document on my computer so that I have logs of all the previous affirmations, which has been really helpful um, over the the two years or so that I've been doing this. Um, The idea of a positive affirmation is that you can target a negative thought that you repeatedly have. So the first step to creating your positive affirmations list is that you need to actually make a, make a physical note of the negative thoughts that you've noticed repeat in your brain. Maybe they always come up in a certain situation. For me, one of my first ones was that every time I lost something, I used to become hysterical. Not around other people, but alone. If I lost my keys, uh, I, I would just lose my shit. I'd start crying, freaking out, going around the house, come way later for something. And because I was so upset, I, it would make it harder for me to find the thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, that came from weird early childhood stuff where I, where one of my parents used to get really upset um, when I lost something. So I had some weird kind of like trauma responses there and I internalized that anger and that shame and that fear. 
Um, so that was something I wanted to change as an example. So you just find something that your brain does that you realize is not effective and that you wish you could rewrite the script for. And your positive affirmation is designed to rewrite that script. So you find a phrase that targets that thought or that behavior. And for me, the thought was stupid girl. That's what it would say in my head when I lost something. And, and it's like, I'm <laughs> in my thirties and here I am losing my keys or, or can't find my coffee mug or something. And right away it's like stupid girl. And of course I'm going to feel really shameful now and, and, and defensive and upset because my brain's saying that to me. The positive affirmation has to be worded positively, meaning it can't be, I'm not stupid. <laughs> it's not very effective for your unconscious mind. It has to be positively phrased. So you find a phrase that's the opposite. And I was like, okay, well, the opposite is I am smart. <laughs> and I was just like, I am smart really just sounds dumb to me because it sounds insubstantial. And that's important. If you think that a thought is insubstantial, then you need to word it so that it, it has substance. So for me, my positive affirmation became, um, I read books and ask questions. And I repeated that to myself. I think it, that was part of my daily circuit for many months. And I don't take a positive affirmation off of my list until I can read it and, and immediately recognize how that has impacted my behavior over the course of a couple days. If I'm like, oh yeah, I literally yesterday lost something and felt fine because I thought that that's when you get rid of it. But anyways, you keep it and you repeat it once a day, you repeat it out loud and you envision yourself, you envision a version of yourself who would behave if she believed that. And that's a really important part because it's daily role playing. You're sitting down there. Okay. I'm going to envision losing my keys on the way out the door. And now I'm going to immediately envision a version of me who didn't worry if she was stupid a version of me who had complete confidence in the fact that I research things and I ask questions and therefore I'm definitely intelligent. How would she act if she lost her keys? Well, she'd probably laugh at herself, text the person she was going to be late and start calmly retracing her steps. Right. Mm -hmm. And if once a day you are targeting very specific behaviors that you have with a phrase and, and visualizing how that that could possibly change you tomorrow, uh, eventually you find yourself in circumstances and it's incredible. You suddenly act differently than you've ever acted in your whole life yeah. because of these, these sentences. So um, I keep my list under 12 positive affirmations at a time because it starts to become too much when you get over that. Um, so yeah, 20 minutes meditation, five minutes meta, and then five minutes positive affirmations. Yeah, it's all under half an hour, but those three things together, the meta makes me softer to yeah. myself and to other people, which is so important. I'm type A, I'm controlling, I'm emotional. So I have all the preconditions to to be a bitch, totally do. And with meta <laughs> meditation, I do. <laughs> with meta meditation, it just allows me to uh, to be nicer to myself and also to recognize when other people are bitches to me, yeah. my gut response, if I've been practicing meta is actually that I feel for them. I'm like, Oh, yeah. I, you know, they throw anger at me and immediately I see, Oh, wow. They're feeling anger at themselves right now. 
and I can instantly depersonalize something. But if I fall off the track and stop doing meta, then it's just like, boom, someone's mean to me. And my, my gut response is anger. How dare they be mean to me? You know, instead of, Oh, wow. I wonder, I wonder what kind of a day they've had. I hope they have a better day tomorrow. Uh, I, I love it. I, um, I teach a program, it's called anatomy of the yogi's heart. Mm. And one of the, one of the door, one of the, I call them like gates or pathways is metta. And it's really just loving kindness. And I have a med station and a yoga class around it. And you've said it so well, like it just, it softens you like the, the meta part really, even in Sanskrit, like it literally like, (laughs) like makes you more compassionate for the world (laughs) around you and in that way like more compassionate to yourself but not just compassionate like almost like the ultimate you know compassion when you can be like like what you just said about like this person is mean to me because this person is like deeply hurting inside like how amazing it is Mm -hmm. that you can switch that off you know yeah Um, it's it's crazy I and I feel that that it's tested. I'm tested in that constantly. Yeah. And I, I've had to, I've had to develop, I think strong boundaries around people that I realize are deeply unempathetic because Mm -hmm. it is infectious. If you spend time with compassionate people, you feel more compassionate. And if you spend time with harder judgmental people who have inner pain, you start to behave more like that too. You actually, it becomes even more difficult to practice compassion. If you are around someone's energy who is so readily not practicing compassion. And I've, I've, I don't know if everyone feels that way. I feel that way. I feel so sensitive to it. And I have very limited capacity now to spend time with people who are really mean whether they're mean to themselves or they're mean to other people, it's the same energy now. And I've kind of tested myself over the last couple of years since I started this practice and started being like, Oh wait, I don't want to be mean to myself anymore. I don't want to be mean to other people anymore, even if I'm in a bad mood, you know? Um, and then I started noticing people around my life um, who didn't feel that way and had to really be like, Oh yeah am I being all fucking high and mighty spiritual now by being like this person's bad energy isn't good for me. They're toxic. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be, I don't want to be superior because I'm like, I practice compassion and I am more compassionate than you. (laughs) No, I know. But when people are deeply unempathetic, I do believe it's infectious. And I think that you need to, you need to recognize that and be very careful around those people. Even if they're not mean to you, they're simply mean to other people. That energy is infectious. Well, and also like I've talked about this before, but just, I feel it's like, it's a responsibility. Like once you know, like there's like, you know, aliveness inside you and spark inside you, like it's, like what you put out in the world, like that's your responsibility, you know, mm-hmm. like even like I, I just, we're also interconnected, you know, you can either like lift people up or you can bring them down the hole with you. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And that's just like, it's really powerful. Like the meta practice and the affirmations, because 
and also the muscle that you built around it. And that I love that you made them up yourself, you know, like they are your own affirmations. And I love the example that you use about the keys because I feel sometimes like I love it because it's so simple and it, and I don't know I don't want to generalize but I feel it's all happened to us like I've lost my keys and gone bonkers but like for you to be like no this is like a deep wound it was like a this deep wound it truly was it was like boom yeah. I'm four years old I left my lunchbox on the bus my mom's yelling at me oh my god you know and it's just like wow I'm 33 do I really have to keep replay this stupid memory <laughs> but it's but I, neural I, pathways that's how the brain works it's a well-worn group it's it's played that me that memory like a thousand times why would it stop now <laughs> yes and Rachel like I don't know about you but like I sometimes like things even from high school like little things sometimes like I don't know, like some things that have happened in high school, let's say. And like now I'm almost 40 and I'm like, no, this shouldn't, I shouldn't think this way. Like it shouldn't matter, but it still does. Like it's still hurt. Like I can't think of an example right now, but like Mm -hmm. things, I I just want to point that out where like this situation of you, like, you know, freaking out of your keys, you could have totally be like brushed that off. Like, you know, oh, it's just like a little thing. It's like a little thing about me. Like that's what happens. But no, like once you start questioning, you're like, no, actually like that's a big hurt, you know, like that, that singular thought, stupid girl. It happened if I lost things. It also happened if I was clumsy, I started to real, it was just my, my brain's auto response to human error. It was so, so crazy for me to live that way. You know, if I like broke a glass, like I would break down and ball on the floor. And I was an adult. I was like, what is going on? I don't want to be this person. And I think for a long time, the I don't want to be this person would then trickle into um, resenting my parents and resenting my upbringing, which was just more, um, more anger. Right. And, and. I don't want to say self-pity because I think self-pity is a, a, a stupid term because um, it has such a negative connotation. But I, I would just spiral when, when, when I had any human error. I would spiral and the spiral would always lead me to the same place, which was this deep belief that my brain was written by other people and now I just have to deal with it. This is just my brain is always going to tell me I'm stupid when I do this stuff. And it's all because someone else called me stupid. And now I just have to live with this pain for my whole life. Like that sucks. And realizing, reading the science behind positive affirmations and realizing that I have the power through a simple five minute practice to rewrite the script of my own brain was so deeply empowering. It means that any time that I really fuck up in life, I can look at it once I'm calm and be like, okay, what thought processes here contributed to you losing control? Are there any thoughts that maybe you haven't targeted yet? What was going on there? So that next time this, this thing happens, because you cannot control disasters and mistakes happening in life. Like next time it happens, what, what thoughts would make it a lot more tolerable? Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot, what, what thoughts would ease my suffering? 
and yeah. I should start practicing them now. Rewriting the script yeah. of, your, yeah. of your life. So what, I'm curious now, would this happen when you lose your keys? Uh, well, well uh, if I've been practicing my efforts, <laughs> I, I lost my keys uh, earlier in Long and McQuaid. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I didn't have that, uh, that heightened emotional reaction. I've, I've done a lot of work. It took, it did take many months of that particular affirmation for me to see yeah. results. But when I say many months, I mean like three or four months after yeah. a lifetime of, of always having this deeply emotional That's response. Right. And I don't have the same gut emotional reaction now. I'm kind of like, okay, all right. Keys are lost. Hmm. Where are they? <laughs> Which is so much more effective. <laughs> oh my goodness. I could talk to you all afternoon, I think. Um I before I have I just love this conversation so much. Um I wanna ask you something that I've always wanted to ask you, and then I wanna I wanna go into like little rapid fire uh questions. Yep. But um I want to know, and I feel I should know this, but I don't. But how? where does the arsonist come from? Arsonist, well, I had a few prerequisites in my name. But in short, arsonist is a pun on my name, Rachel Sunter. So it's R from Rachel and yeah. Sun from Sunter. So arsonist was how I made it. I kept drawing on the page, capital R S U N being like arson. And I was like, I don't want my name to be arson. That sounds so masculine and bad. And then I was like, well, how do I make it feminine? And then arsonist was, was a feminine play on my name. Cool. I didn't know that. I I thought maybe you wanted to be the first in the phone book with an A. No, but it's it's nice to be the first on lists of, of artists yeah. that shows. That definitely was not something that I thought of. <laughs> I know. No, I love it. Um, all right. I have some last little questions. Are you ready? Ready. <laughs> okay. Uh, we've talked a little bit about this, but do you have a favorite mantra? You work with a lot of them. Yes. Um, don't be jealous. Be inspired. Because mm, I, I, you know, when jealous, competitive, comparative thoughts come up, which is yeah. frequently, um, I just have to catch them and be like, okay, if they can do it, I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Right. You know, if someone from Halifax just achieved a dream, I've always wanted to achieve, this should be good news. This should be good news. That is possible, not make me feel small because I didn't do it first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then my response to the person can be, hey, that's so inspiring. Thank you for inspiring me, you know, yeah. instead of like trying to hide my jealousy. <laughs> I know, like letting them be almost like expanders for you instead of like being like, oh, it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, totally get it. Um, how about a favorite flower? I love peonies and roses and um a favorite book you've read on the creative path i know you mentioned the artist's way and big magic is there another one maybe no those are my two those are my those are yeah those are pretty great my two bibles um the 
what I would throw in would be Tara Brock is um, a psychotherapist and Buddhist teacher, and she specializes in self-compassion work. But I think that her work has been has been very central to that inner softening for me. So anything mm-hmm. by Tara Brock is amazing. She does guided meditations and has written some books. So great. I think that's going to be the title of our podcast, Inner Softening. <laughs> it's so beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Um, how about favorite show on Netflix? Well, I watch a lot of anime. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am currently almost done Naruto. I've watched like hundreds of episodes with my boyfriend. Um, so Naruto Shippuden would, would probably get the most viewed. For real life stuff, I binge watched The Queen's Gambit. It was amazing, super inspiring. So good. I just yeah. been watched it too. Oh, oh my god, the, <laughs> the clothes, the clothes were like oh. <laughs> so great. Um, do you listen to podcasts? Do you have a favorite podcast? I do. Ten Percent Happier by Dan Harris. Uh, I swear by it's been it's been my favorite podcast for a long time. Cool. Um, what's it called? Ten Percent. I've never heard of that one. Yeah, Ten Percent Happier. It's a uh, it's a meditation themed podcast. However, he, uh, he is an amazing interviewer. He's a lifetime journalist, um, who took a, an adult interest into meditation. And so there's a combination of Buddhist practitioners, secular Buddhists, um, and also just like really successful people, whether in finance or arts or sports who have a meditation practice. That's the only common theme um it's it's really good yeah cool i'll have to check it out and uh what about a favorite treat favorite treat i love uh i love nutella on sprouted grain toast Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's hard to beat nutella <laughs> oh, yeah. i eat it by the spoon i love it <laughs> love it love it oh rachel i could talk to you forever i have one last it's kind of a loaded question but i have faith i have faith in you you can answer it no problem um we've been kind of talking about the creative path and art and we've been kind of segue in in and out but you know knowing what you know about the transformation like transformational power of art what do you wish women to like knew about its magic I just think it's really important for people to believe that what they create is worthy, that mm-hmm. it, it does not have to meet any standards. It doesn't have to impress anyone but yourself, but there's something really, really empowering and healing in making something for yourself <laughs> and just being able to look at it and be like that. That's what I saw in my mind, or that's how I feel. Mm. So beautifully said. <laughs> Rachel uh, Arsenis, how can we support you? How can we, what can we do now to follow you and all that good stuff? Um, you can definitely follow me online. I'm going to have a lot of new music coming out in 2021. And Yay! A couple EPs and singles out and some videos. So the easiest way to find me and keep track is um, you can follow me on YouTube where I post all of my songs and videos. Um, if you just look up Arsonist, that's A-R-S-O-N-I-S-T-E uh, on YouTube. Also, Instagram is my main platform for connecting with people. And then 
Uh, my music's on all streaming services, especially Spotify, Apple Music, um, Google Play. Cool. I can't wait for your new stuff. Yay. <laughs> so exciting. Rachel, thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for talking to us. It's been such an empowering, empowering hour. Thank you. Yes, thank you. This was lovely. Bye. Bye. This podcast was produced by Tosh Taylor of the Podcast Hub Productions. Find her online at podcasthub.ca.